0: Life. And now for our speaker. Wouldn't you believe it? An angry mob of all things came knocking at the door of the brand new king of Israel, Rehoboam. Now, the new king's father, Solomon, had just died. And though he started as a righteous, good king, Solomon ended his reign corrupted by the power of his office. He had hundreds of wives for political gain. He established the first ever worship of pagan gods in the very temple that he built for the Lord. And as king, he used slaves to build that temple. His empire, something that was strictly prohibited by Israelite kings to do in accordance to Deuteronomy 17. And now, a mob is demanding a different way of life from their new king. And when they were met with resistance from the new king, a new leader, Jeroboam, came to power from within the disgruntled subjects, and he started a rebellion that led to splitting the nation into two kingdoms, Israel the north and Judah the south. Jeroboam took the throne of the northern kingdom, breaking the line of David as king And just like his counterparts in the south, he too instituted pagan worship and unrighteousness throughout all the land. He even built this new king. He even built a golden calf. Hmm. And he put it in the city of Bethel. And as they built this, he did so as a remembrance to the Egyptian God that he claims to the people who actually freed them from Egypt's oppression. Both kingdoms right now, the north and the south, are falling away from the one who truly saved them. And scripture says, it says that while Jeroboam was in the middle of a festival, a worship festival to the golden calf, as he had called on the priest and all of the people, and they were worshiping the golden calf, the scripture says that an unknown, unnamed prophet traveled from the south, from Jeruth, traveled from Judah all the way up to the northern kingdom to pay a visit to the king, this King Jeroboam. And when the prophet arrived... In Bethel he was witness to the new king and his priest worshiping and bowing to the golden calf and then he turned and saw that all the nation of Israel all the people that followed them were on their knees worshiping their new God this golden calf not believing what he was seeing couldn't understand how have we gotten to this place to this to this point The prophet there before everyone just shouts, O king of Israel, this is what the Lord God, the true God of Israel, says to you. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David, and he will reclaim the throne that you sit on now. He will restore God's ways And because of you, O king, because of you, he will sacrifice the priest of these altars. When that day comes, their bones will be burned so that nothing is left. And history shows us that Israel did not take to heart the words of the prophet that day and continued worshiping the gods of this world. And from that day on, from that moment on, every king, every single king of the northern kingdom used the altars that were built by Jeroboam to worship the pagan gods. King after king after king. That is... Until 300 years later, when a young boy of the house of David came to power in Judah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the history and the word that your scriptures give us. Father, our prayer as we continue to look into the Old Testament And looking into the story of Josiah, Lord, we ask for understanding, context, and culture. Lord, we pray that when we leave here, we're not more confused than when we walked in. We want a clear vision and understanding of what it is you want from your people today, right now. Father, I pray that if I say anything that is incorrect, that is not right of the scripture of you, Lord, then correct me here on this spot. Father, I pray that the words that come from me are only a mirror of you. So Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. morning. Yes, and welcome, welcome uh, uh, to our second part and honestly our last part. There's only two parts in this one. Uh, Of the story of Josiah. And we have uh, actually just walked through Hezekiah, and we've been hanging out in the Old Testament quite a bit. Uh, We've just been spending some time in there, and we're going to essentially be wrapping up our Old Testament King's journey here today. And so I I first want to say thank you to Brother Roy. Uh, Where are you at? There you are back there. Brother Roy, who took that entire chapter. And, uh, and, and worded it and phrased it in a way where we, it was a narrative so we can kind of follow along. Because as a history book, sometimes there's a lot of little details in there. And, and, and sometimes we, most, a lot of us maybe don't really like those details. We kind of glaze. so Roy, thank you for pushing that, putting that, painting that for us. And, and getting through this chapter that we're going to be looking at. And so we're in our second part of Josiah, Revive Us, O Lord. Now, if you were not able to be with us last week or, or you weren't able to, to tune in and to listen to the first part, I do encourage you to do so, uh, to go online, to, to, to pop into the, to our podcast, Refresh, or YouTube, whatever it is. And, and the reason why I say that is that there's a lot of context. There's a lot of story in that first part that's going to help lay the foundation to where we're going today. What's happening in this moment for? If we were just to take this section of Josiah and not talk about the first, we would be a little confused. We may even think that, well, Josiah, he he seems to be overcorrecting a tad. But we have to have the first part to understand his motivation, his heart, and really what has fallen upon him. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But if you were with us, if you recall, if if you were to go on that journey with us, If you regard Josiah has now become the king of Judah, the southern kingdom that we were just talking about. Now, he did so at the age of eight. He took the throne. If you remember, that's the age of my son. We would all be in trouble if that happened. You know, a lot of baseball games that we all would be attending, I will tell you. (laughs) But he took the throne at the age of eight. And Josiah came to the throne, the reason why he was so young, he came to the throne after his father Amon was assassinated by his own officials that were charged to protect him. Why? Because he was that evil. He was that bad of a guy that his own officials said, this guy can't stick around. And then to top that off, that Josiah's grandfather He even dives, goes back one generation. His grandfather Manasseh goes down in scripture as the evilest king in the history of the kings was his grandfather. uh, We have two generations here of some pretty heavy destruction and spiritual destruction into the nation. And so Josiah comes to power during a time when the people of Judah are spiritually lost. They have no vision. They don't know where they're going. They're spiritually lost. And so, at the age of 26, a couple years into his throne, into his reign, at the age of 26, Josiah decides it's time to renovate the temple because it's, well, it's falling to pieces. And he's doing that because of neglect. <clears throat> so, during the renovation, a set of scrolls are found, and they're presented to the king. If you remember, and the king's secretary reads them out loud to the king during one of his visits to the office. And when they're reading it out loud, they discover that the scrolls found are one are the lost copy of the Torah, there in the basement of the temple. Now, this is, there is widely believed that this here is the first time that the scrolls are being read out loud in over 250 years. And it is believed that this is Josiah's first time hearing the audible word of God read out loud in his entire life directly from the Torah. And and if you remember, if you according to Deuteronomy, every king was supposed to have their own personal copy of the Torah. They would have their own copy so that they can read it and study it so that they know how to lead their people. And then if you remember, Deuteronomy also states that the Torah was to be read out loud every seven years at the Feast of Tabernacles for the whole nation to hear. But somewhere down the line of evil kings, these laws or practices stopped being observed. And so what does Josiah this young king do when he hears the word of God when he hears it out loud there in his study there in his office well the scripture says he falls to his knees and he tears his robe because he understands that he hasn't been leading his people and there he begins to submit his authority as king back. To the Lord. And so now He decides that it's time for Judah, for this nation, to come back home. To stop pretending to be someone else. To stop looking like the rest of the world. That we're not we're no longer gonna try to please everybody else around us. That we're not gonna just adapt whatever it is you say we should adapt, that we should look like this, that we're gonna introduce these different things into our kingdom. He says, no, it's time that we go back to who we belong to. And so he cuts tie. He says, he, in fact, what the scripture says that, that Judah is not a nation built on the many, but it's built on the one. And so he he gets on his feet. And for the very first time, I think I like that. At least I, this is me, your, your captain, looking down on a fly on the wall if you let me. But I really think that when he stood to his feet, that Josiah was no longer a king that was blind. But he can see. He was no longer leading the nation as a blind king, but now has a very clear vision. And the first thing that he does as king is he goes and he calls all the elders. He says, all right, we need the elders. I need the priest. I need everybody. In fact, get everyone in Jerusalem, anyone that's here in this city now, and I want you to meet me at the temple. And so he gathers everybody there at the temple, and he wanted everyone to be present. Everyone, he wanted everyone to hear what he was about to say. He has a very big announcement, and he needs you present and accounted for, because as king, he knows that he's not going to be able to do this on his own. Not what he's about to say. He can't do this one on by himself. And so he calls everybody there. And once they were all there, the scripture says that the king took that scroll that was found and he opened it and everybody was there and it says that he the king read the Torah before them all in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth listen and he read the Torah there in the temple before the entire city of Jerusalem you see, he didn't, he didn't delegate that to somebody else. He didn't, he didn't pass it off and say, the High priest, would you read from the first scroll? Everybody listen up. No, the king knew the import. He had to be the one to set the tone. He grabbed the scroll and says, Listen up, you've got to hear this. And he reads it out loud. And after reading the entire law, the king right there in the temple before all his people He renewed the covenant that was made by his forefather, David. He renewed it there. Listen, everybody. We've been wrong. I've been wrong. I thought I was leading you, but I wasn't. And so there in the temple, Andrew, he he renews his covenants. He renews it. I want to be like King David, like our forefathers before us. And so he renews it before the entire nation. And there, he declares and declares that they will be a nation that will follow the Lord and keep his commands with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and even if it requires their strength. We will keep this command. And then the scripture says something very interesting. It says that there, the entire, everyone that was present in the temple on this day, it says that the people in the temple, Began. they pledged themselves to the covenant. They pledged themselves to the covenant. Now, we just can't breeze right by that. It'd be easy for us to think that, well, he's the king, whatever he says goes. If you say we're renewing a covenant, then I guess that's what we're doing. no, no, that's not what the scripture said here. It said here that everyone on their own accord pledged to the covenant. They renewed themselves as individuals to the Lord. There, in this, in fact, scholars believe that when they analyze this piece of scripture, when they look at this, they say that it is very similar. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit was falling on the nation of Israel, Judah, and Jerusalem at that moment, just like He did in Acts when He fell on the disciples. That when they were, they realized that they were no longer going in their own strength, and so here very well according to a lot of these biblical scholars that we may have experiencing the falling of the Holy Spirit here in the temple and so now after hearing all of this I like to say that they, they finally woke up and they realized that they aren't a nation of pagan gods but a nation of only one God we sing about them Jehovah Now, once the covenant was made, once that was established in the temple on this particular day, King Josiah then turned his attention elsewhere. He at first had to start at home. We need to make this right here, right now, at home. Then, after that was done, he turned his eyes to the evil that was being done within his own city gates. And then he decided that it needed to be cleansed. It needed to be removed if we're going to be moving forward, if we're going to go anywhere. And the first was the defilement of the temple itself. He looked at the temple and said that none of the, nothing in here screams that we serve the Lord God. Nothing in here says that. And so the scripture says that Josiah started in the middle, in the heart of the temple. And he walked in and he told the high priest and all the priests around him to come here. Do you see all of this? Get rid of it. Get rid of everything. None of this is of the Lord. All these altars, all these incense, all these things, none of this. He gets rid. And so the priests start to go and they tear down everything inside the temple. You see, the temple was the holiest place on earth. It was the connection between heaven and earth itself. And here are, are, are the people of God. They were defiling. They were using it for their own personal pleasure. And so here everything was made to worship the god Baal and other pagan gods. And so everything must go. He destroyed the, uh, the Asherah pole. And he, in fact, the scripture says that he ground it down to powder. It wasn't enough to get rid of it. He ground it to powder where there was nothing left. And there, was, there was no use for this. He took down all the shrines that were posted at the city gates. He removed everything from the entrance of the temple that was dedicated to the sun god. He destroyed, listen to this, there was a room inside the temple that had been converted for the worship of a pagan god. And this particular pagan god only wanted one act of worship, prostitution. And so, they converted a room inside the temple for male prostitution to take place. And the king said, don't just take everything out of there, destroy the room. Get rid of it all. And then here, he destroyed, the scripture says, all of the altars that were built by the kings before him in Judah. And once everything was collected, everything was put in a big pile. And the scripture says that that they burned it all in the Kidron Valley right outside the gates. Stuck it in the valley. And if you've ever been to Israel, you know where that is. This nice little valley. Throw it in there and just put it on fire. It's not coming back in here again. And then the scripture says (coughs) that he started to not only remove the things, he started to remove the people the ones who practiced witchcraft, and all of the pagan priests who dedicated their lives to those acts of worship. And it says that he had removed them all, and yes, he had them killed. You see, in this time, in Josiah's kingdom, here in Judah, there could be no risk of a relapse. Even the smallest sin to be replanted or rerooted could take us further away from the Lord. And so this covenant renewal had to be guarded. It had to be protected. It wasn't just let's make the covenant and let it be. We made a covenant and now we guard it. We don't let anything infiltrate. We don't let our guards down and just say that it'll work itself out. It had to be protected. And so here he is removing everything. And once Jerusalem had been cleansed, once the city had been been completely restored back to the act of the worship of God, it says here that he turned his focus to the rest of the nation. Home is taken care of now. Now, do do the same in the rest of the nation. Every city that is in the promised land, well, we will remove all paganism, all gods, and restore only one God. And so the priests divide up, and they start to go city by city, and they're removing anything that is not of the Lord. But you see here, King Josiah had his eyes set somewhere else. As the priest and his leaders went around across the south, Josiah had his eyes On the fallen northern kingdom. The nation above him. The kingdom that fell to Assyria. Because of their wickedness. And he set out a group, a team of people. To go to the north. To not even his nation. But to go to the north. And say that this is still a part of God's promised land. We're going to cleanse it. We're going to go up there and we're going to cleanse it. He didn't care about borders. He didn't care about politics or the Assyrian Empire or nothing like that. He crossed over and said that this land belongs to God. And so on their journey, crossing from the south to the north, as they get to the city of Bethel, like all the other cities that they've traveled upon their road, the first thing they did was they searched for all the altars that were built by those before them. But in Bethel, they came upon an altar. It was like the other ones in a sense. It was an altar for the the god of Baal, for a pagan god. They've seen that before. However, this altar was a tad different, it stood out. Unlike the other altars, the king, Josiah, he notices that there's a marking on this particular altar. And the marking states that this this altar is the very altar built by King Jeroboam, the first king of the north, more than 300 years ago. Now, we don't know if the golden calf was, was still intact, if it was still there for them to see, or if Assyria came and took it once they took control of the northern empire, we don't know. But we do know is that the altar itself was still there. The marking was still there, giving honor and homage to King Jeroboam, the one who built this altar. And then after taking a moment, Josiah, he approaches this altar built by one of the kings. And he begins to tear it to pieces. Piece by piece, he tears it down. Why, Jeroboam? Why did you lead this nation astray? Why didn't you stay pure and true? And he tears it down piece by piece. And after the entire altar was destroyed, After everything was no longer standing, Josiah then set it on fire and he burned it to ashes. Nothing remains. This is not our history. This is not who we are. And he burns the altar down. But then the king takes a moment and looks around and he sees there in Bethel all these tombs and these graves surrounding this altar. And he's looking around And he sees and he notices that all of these tombs are the tombs and the graves of the priests who were responsible for the worship at that altar. They They were held in such high regard. They were buried by it when they died. And so King Josiah here, he tells his men to go and take the bones of all of the priests buried in these tombs. And he, want, he says, I want you to throw them into that fire. Throw them into the fire. He doesn't want anything left behind that, uh, of the paganism that once plagued to God's nation. And so they, so the men do that. They actually go and they dig up all of the graves and they take the bones and they throw it into the fire. But then the king, as he was watching his men do this, noticed that there was another tomb, a separate tomb that wasn't with the rest, but it was off to the side just a tad. And as he was beginning to look at this tomb, he noticed that there was a a marking, a a plaque that was on that one. And so Josiah asked one of his men, what does that tombstone there say? Well, this speaks of a prophet, my king. Oh? What prophet? Well, here it says that there was a prophet who came from Judah many years ago. This prophet came and he warned the people that one day this altar will be torn down and that the priest's bones will be burned on it. Leave that tomb alone, let the prophet's bones rest in peace. And so they continue to cleanse not only Bethel, but they move on to the next city and to the next city, cleansing all of the cities of the north, removing all of the false gods all of the pagan gods, looking and realizing how far away they have come. But it's now time to come back home, to come back home. And so they they traveled throughout all of the north, and then once they were completed and everything was cleansed, they returned back to Jerusalem. And when he returned home, When he got back to Jerusalem, Josiah, the king, stood before his people and he proclaimed that the entire nation will now enter into the celebration of the Passover based on what is written in the book of law now that we have it. And so here he declares it's Passover time. And it's a celebration. Most people would have heard that and said, what is that? Passover. The scripture says that Passover had not been observed or celebrated in over 400 years since the time of Samuel. And then it goes on to close and say that neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned in an entire nation back to the Lord as he did? And after reading Josiah, I think they're right. I haven't seen anything like that since. Now, friends, I think you know But the next question is, which God are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping today, right now? Who are we worshiping as the church? You know, it's easy for us to to look back and to think that these are only matters of the past. This was then. We're sophisticated now. We don't really do things like that anymore. And that may be true. We don't do things like that anymore. But we'd be foolish to think that paganism is dead. It may not come in the names or the altars or these other things that they did at that time. It may not. And it may so. But we have to look, we have to be aware of who we are worshiping. Who are we giving honor and glory to in the things that we're doing? And I want to tell you that yes, Even inside of the church, we get it wrong sometimes. We get it wrong. We tend to build altars to ourselves, we build platforms for self glorification. But the church exists as a gift from God, it's a gift. And what we do when we come together like this is not to worship a person or to worship an act or a worship method. We are together because we actually believe that God is the creator, preserver, and governor of all things. That when I speak behind this pulpit every Sunday morning, I actually believe that there is a God named Jehovah and that he is leading us, his people. You see, false doctrine is running throughout our churches. Spiritual truths are becoming spiritual opinions. And we are, as a church, just collectively as a church, we are building altars to the issues of the day. And I want to say that you and I You and I have something that the people in Josiah's time did not have. The cross. We have the cross. The righteous wrath. Because that's what we read throughout the Old Testament. It's the righteous wrath of God. Cleansing. Separating. Consecrating sanctifying, this is the righteous wrath of God was all placed on the cross. It was placed right there. And birthed out of that, what that gave you and gave me was grace. Grace. We must stay true to the truth's of the scriptures and display the grace given to us by the cross. It can be done. It must be done that we can stand strong on God's word and still show grace to a dying world. They don't contradict each other. We don't say either or. Well, we're a grace kind of group. We like the grace stuff. That seems pretty hard over there. Those are those, those, those hard people. Where everyone else over here is going, well, those guys are kind of a little, you're a little loose over there. I'm telling you that you can do both. You can stand strong on the promises of the scripture and still show grace the way that God and Christ did on the cross. Because he did He did that and so can we and so this morning as Josh plays I'm asking is that can you renew and make a covenant with the Lord as Josiah did maybe it's you and your family that as for me and this how we will serve the Lord and so we're going to enter into a time of prayer. And you can do this in your seats or in your, in, in, at the altars. It doesn't matter. But today, as we close Josiah, let's look at our hearts now. Let's look at our minds, at the things we see, at the things we watch, the things we do and the things we don't. And can we renew ourselves to the Lord?